Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today I will be visiting with a man by the name of Stratty Young. And Stratty, we've never met. What part of Tennessee are you from? We live in Clarksville, Tennessee. It's about 45 minutes west of Nashville. Mm-hmm. I understand you didn't grow up in Tennessee. You're from Mississippi? Yes, I, I didn't grow up in Tennessee. The military brought us here some years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we've been back and forth here off and on. Sometime over the last 20 years, we've been back and forth to, to this part of Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? We have a mutual friend in Trevor Brooks. He said you're quite an interesting guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know whether to be flattered or, uh, <laughs> or concerned that they came from Trevor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I grew up, like I said, in Mississippi in a farming community for at least the first half of my life. I'm, I'm the fifth of six children, three boys, four boys and count me and two girls. I grew up on a farm until I was about 14 years old and then we moved to a different part of the state or in the same county that probably had a whopping 3,000 people in the community mm-hmm. as opposed to the small one that we came from. I spent all of my childhood there up until graduating. And once I graduated high school, went off to college still in Mississippi, and was at college for about three years before we met my eventual wife and decided to join the military, and, and that took us on a journey for the next really 20-plus years, you know, around the country and in some parts of the world as well. So, mm-hmm. What years were you growing up in Mississippi, and what was that like? So I grew up in Mississippi in the late 70s, all of the 80s, and in the early 90s, and I stayed there really until I left, you know, I made some a few trips back and forth out of the state, but for the majority of my life, you know, that younger age, it was all there. Looking back on it, it's an interesting childhood, interesting um, life, to be honest. It's, you really don't notice until you kind of get outside of that area. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we're talking at a time where didn't have access to a lot of the outside world. You know, social media didn't exist. Uh, cell phones didn't exist. Internet didn't exist. So a lot of those things, your world was the world that you grew up in. And so kind of looking back on it, it would, to be quite frank, it was a pretty segregated childhood, if that makes any sense. I'll give you an example of that. So in my county, my small county, there were seven high schools. And so and all of the public schools were 99.9% African-American. Mm-hmm. And so, and that wasn't that that was the majority of the people in the town. So, but if you were not, you went to private schools. And so those schools were 100% white, right? And so when I graduated high school, the natural choice was to go to an HBCU, a historical black college and university, because that's what I'd grown up with. I'd grown up with all people that looked like me and in theory, she had similar values, similar beliefs. And so you take that same journey to college and really that's your life until until I left, really, you know, for the military and you kind of see the world you know, from a different light in that particular case. I understand you're kind of sports-minded. Is that right? I am. So I did, you know, did it all sports, band, kind of the whole nine. Like, it wasn't a lot to do in the community. So we played a lot of sports, uh, not a whole lot of organized. We didn't have any type of organized sports before high school age. Like, no uh, no Pop Warner or any of those type things existed at that time. They do now, but you didn't have those things. So we played a lot against each other in community type things, if you will. And then uh, high school was pretty small. And so you did anything there. You kind of participated in everything, but nothing 
really just like ultra competitive, even at the, like at the high school levels, all the sports or, or whatever you participate in, you, you kind of just got into to anything you could just to stay out of trouble, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the same era that you did. I graduated high school in the 70s. And, you know, like you said, we didn't have a lot of the stuff that they have today. And so getting involved in sports or, you know, those things you really had to do or you would get in a lot of trouble. At least I thought I would. So tell me a little bit more about experiences perhaps that you might have had that shaped you into who you are today, Stratty. That's a tough question. You know, obviously my upbringing has a big influence on me. You know, my parents were religious people. You know, we we went to church as often as we could. And I, I, I remember occasions of not going to church. We were not necessarily punished for it, but there was kind of some repercussions for not going to church for whatever reason, you know, if you didn't get up early enough or whatever. That was a big part, you know, attending church, growing up, family in a way. It's a lot more important to me now, you know, than it was then in the sense that, like I said, we we didn't move around a lot, but my parents divorced earlier on. And so half the kids stayed with one parent and then the other. And then eventually you stay with those parents and then those parents get back together and they get divorced. So those things, like I said, at the time, because quite frankly, the rest of my community kind of mirrored those same things. You don't see them as different until you kind of get outside of that. The college experience shaped my life in the sense that I recognized pretty early on that that time college was not a place that I probably should have been. You know, I don't know if I had a focus. Probably one the best thing that came out of college was when I met my wife. And that's a whole another podcast of story. But I met her a couple of years into college at that left and come back and whatnot. And then that, I would say, is the probably the pivotal moment in everything. Because as we started to get serious in our relationship, I realized that I needed to have a focus. And so when that focus eventually took me to the military mm-hmm. and that, you know, going to the military led to the introduction to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then so and just kind of combining those two things or three things, it's my life now. You know, my life is totally different. But I'd say the number one thing was that relationship with my wife now of almost 26 years. You know, that started kind of the ball rolling that's led to a, just a different whole lot of just a different lifestyle than I could have imagined. Oh, you know, um, Trevor probably told you, I, you know, I coach sports. And so, you know, military leading us to a particular area of the country. I started coaching sports is kind of like a hobby. And that's eventually become a pretty big career for me, you know, is uh, being involved in the sports industry to the point where we, you know, I'm coaching at a high school now and we actually own a um, youth sports performance company, which again, never would have been anything that crossed my mind you know, 20, 30 years ago, or even a part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. What is the whole sports performance thing? What's that about? So when I started coaching and actually thought it was something that I would enjoy doing, coaching, I started to notice a void at the high school level with a lot of the youth that were, kids that we were getting in. Like they were, uh, in a sense, underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. You know, they had talent, but maybe not the skills that went along with the talent, or if they had the skills, they just had talents that were not developed. And so as a result of that, we recognized that there was a void, you know, somewhere where kids were not, I won't say developed, but they just didn't, our generation was probably a lot more physical in the sense that we didn't have access to a lot of 
things kind of we talked about before, no internet, no phones or whatever. So our pastime was playing outside or doing something physical. Mm-hmm. When you got off the school bus, you went and you played football or, or you went and played basketball you, or you did something, you know, kind of physical related or you worked growing up on a farm, you worked. That was physical labor. Mm-hmm. And so high school sports and whatever still continued, but the kids that you were getting in, they didn't have this background in physicality or being developed physically, you know, because they'd spent a lot of time doing things that were not physical, if that makes sense. No, yeah. right? And the reality of it is, to be honest, if, if I had a 3D visual headset back in the day, I'm sure I would too, if we had access to those things, mm-hmm. but we didn't. And so our company developed, again, trying to fill that void and, and really just giving kids the opportunity when they got to the level of being able to play competitive sports, that they would have the ability to. And so we work with youth exclusively that tend to probably 22 age group of religious speed training and functional fitness, you know, that's meant for someone at that level and not maybe, you know, kind of what you would see at an average gym that's geared towards adult personnel. Right. And you mentioned that a lot of this never would have come about had you not met and married your wife and kind of yes. found that direction. How did that all begin? Our relationship? Well, I mean, once you met her and got serious and decided to get married, how did she bring that focus, you know, to you? The focus was just before marriage. And this may sound really weird, but I, I just remember thinking, like, like no woman wants a broke guy. So, hmm. I'm like, so I need, <laughs> that's not weird. So, <laughs> so if, I, if I wanted to keep her, that I needed to do something that would be productive, you know, and uh, long term productive, you know, so if you wanted to start a family or whatever, that was part of it. <laughs> You'd have access to those things in order to be able to do that. So that was my thought process. And I have this saying that nobody wants a guy that's, you know, living in the basement and writing his name on the orange juice at his parents' house. You know, uh, <laughs> That's a good that's, way that's to put it. To, that's a hard sell if you're in that situation. So, <laughs> but I, I think it was just, it was just that, that feeling. And honestly, it was giving up selfishness if that makes sense like thinking outside of myself because now for the first time really i'm thinking about the feelings of someone else and so really giving up myself for somebody else was the key or the trigger to those things you mentioned you were able to become converted to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints do you mind talking a little bit about that conversion i don't mind and you know it's it's probably a boring story from my perspective the backstory, we found out, we've been able to reconnect with the missionaries who tracked it into us, you know, some years later and, and kind of find out like the full backstory. But so the way we understand it is that the missionaries were in our neighborhood to go to an appointment. And so when they got to the appointment, the appointment canceled. And so on the way out of the neighborhood, this is 1998. Mm-hmm. So on the way out of the neighborhood, they were just knocking on doors where the light was on. You know, and so our house was one of the ones that they ended up knocking the door on. And just the backstory for me, we'd always get people that were in and out all the time wanting to, you know, sell magazines or can you help me fund my senior trip to Cancun and or whatever. And so what I would do, because uh, as a result of this is anytime someone would show up, I'd like offer them five bucks to go away. I'm like, hey, I don't want to hear the pitch. <laughs> like, here's money, go away, you know, type thing. And so for whatever reason, when these, these sister missionaries showed up this time, I invited them in. It was dark outside or whatever, so I opened the door and I let them come in. So they introduced themselves, and we talked for a little bit, and, and so they asked if they could share a message. But at that time, we had just had our first child, 
And so my wife was, she was there, but she wasn't in a position to be able to talk to anyone else. And obviously, as you know, sister missionaries can't talk to an individual male by themselves, you know? Right. And so they asked if they could make an appointment to come back. And so this would have been probably February, March timeframe of 1998. And so they just really started coming back from there. My wife was baptized in June of that year, and I was baptized in October. So if you're familiar with missionary service at all, so I went through quite a few sets of missionaries there before I decided to make that commitment. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a member of the church, and I served a mission myself. So what you're talking about, I understand pretty much how the rules are. I'll tell you just a little quick story. When we, we had a son that served a mission uh, actually through COVID, uh, 2019 to 2021, and so when we went to pick him up from his mission, we got to reconnect with two of the sister missionaries that were in that teaching pool that taught us. And so that was uh, pretty awesome, 20 some years later, to connect with them. But as they were kind of telling the story, you know, of meeting with us and back and forth, my son, so he's missionary, still hadn't been released from his mission yet. He said, you know, I would have dropped you. He's like, there's no way I would have continued to teach you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Aren't you glad they didn't? No. <laughs> I know. Yeah. With the influence of the gospel in your life, how has that affected your family? What's that done for you and your family? It's huge, and that sounds like an understatement, but like I kind of mentioned before, it's shaped our whole just thought process on life. Like, you know, I said before, you, and you grew up in, you talked about growing up in a small town, and specifically in the area that I grew up, you figure the rest of the world is all like this, you know, mm-hmm. and you can insert whatever this is in there, you know, and like I said, growing up in the 70s and 80s. And so you kind of equate everything to that. So my children, they hadn't grown up in environments that way. Like to them, and I'll just use race for an example. People are just people to them. Everybody is not assigned a value because of their race, which is kind of, you know, the environment that, that I was used to, you know, and so they've been just afforded the opportunity to just be in diverse settings where they're able to see that we're all having the father's children for one, regardless of what we look like. And at the end of the day, if we're all pulling in the same direction, trying to have the same purpose, which is ultimately to return to live with him, that we got to figure out how to get along, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's been the impact to them. And I would say the second part that's impacted their lives, they've had to be pretty strong individuals in a lot of cases because being a minority, you know, from the way they look hadn't gone away. They've had to be really sure in their conviction because the reality is they didn't choose this life. My wife and I did. Mm -hmm. And so they are, you know, a part of it. They've had to have some personal growth or personal declarations about things in order to be the people that they are today. And they're fascinating, phenomenal kids. And honestly, they're probably more worthy to be interviewed than I am, at least, in uh, them sharing kind of some of their experiences and things that they experienced. You know, like I said, for my wife and I, we made a choice. We knew, for the most part, where we were getting into, but they didn't. They were just a byproduct of it. But I think this made them so much stronger a people and, and a person and just understanding really who they are and what their individual purposes are. Do you have any grandkids yet, Stratty? We have one. It's awesome. We have a 14-month-old. Awesome. Have you ever just thought about what's it going to be like for our grandkids in the world that we live in now? And then you get a little scared and you think, gosh, I'm so worried about them. But I heard it said one time, I can't remember who told me this, but they said, you don't need to be worried 
about your grandkids growing up in this world because God prepared them for this moment in time. And they'll be ready for it, right? Maybe you and I, we were born at the time we were because maybe we weren't ready for this day and age, you know? Um, Yeah, I think they're so much stronger than we give them credit for in a lot of aspects, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need to see that in them. And I think I'm still going to be a little worried, but I also have to trust that the Lord knows what He's doing, right? Yeah. (laughs) He knows what He's doing. Absolutely. If you could give a message to people out there who will be listening to this, what would that message be? My biggest message, honestly, I don't know if you know much about my background. You know, I don't. Uh, so, or where I'm serving right now. So I'm currently serving as a state president. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have stressed or been trying to stress is how much this life is a time for us to have joy. Mm-hmm. And so I would just like people maybe not to take themselves too serious. And just really spend time to understand who they are and what the Lord's purpose is for them here on this earth. And if you do that, you can find joy in almost everything you do. I don't think it's something that we should dread, you know, being in the world at this time. You know, we love to look at, like I said, all of the the kind of negative parts of the world today. But there's a lot of good that's going on in the world as well. And as we focus on those things, I think our lives will be more joyful than what they are or have the ability to be more joyful than what they are if we just kind of understand who we are and understand that everybody has a purpose and there's an opportunity for us to just to be happy and no matter whatever setting we're in and just to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about my military career, you know, I've been in some pretty interesting parts of the world at interesting times, you know, and, and it's there's opportunities there to, to find joy as well and maybe not dwell so much on the negative things that we have to deal with. So that would be my message, just overall. Obviously, you get to work a lot with the youth in your stake. What do you say to the youth that struggles with finding their purpose? How do they find that? You know what I mean? Where do they find that and how? It only comes by connecting with God and understanding how He will speak to them. And that would be the number one thing, is just take everything else out of the equation and find out how he speaks to you. And once you do that, then you'll have a constant connection that evolving and changing as your life evolves and changes. But until you figure out how he speaks to you, not how he speaks to your parents, not how he speaks to your sister or brother, you figure out how you're able to hear him, then everything else will really come from that. And the second thing is to understand, like you were saying earlier, that they are here at this time because they've been prepared for the work that they have to do. We were at a meeting a couple of weeks ago in a room full of adults, and we were talking back and forth about the rising generation and youth and young adults and and primary. And I just kind of reminded them, I said, hey, you know, I said, we're dead men walking. I'm like, this is not about us anymore. Like the Lord has been telling us that the youth are the ones that he has prepared for this time. And so our jobs is to help them find that purpose, but we don't stand in between them. In essence, we stand under them if we can and and help bolster them more so than I think that we stand as a mediator between them and him. It's help them find what their purpose is by pushing them up as opposed to standing in between them and, and that connection that they need to have with Heavenly Father. I say that because, and I don't think we do it on purpose, and I think it's natural for us to try to prevent others from from maybe experiencing some of the things that we experienced. And so we feel like we're doing them a favor by 
doing that, you know, kind of maybe, you know, standing in between. But I think the best we can do is, is help to push them and help them to, to make that connection themselves. And then everything else will come from there. My experience with prayer has always been a, that I, I know that I always get an answer. The challenge for me at that point is, is to make sure I'm in a place where I receive the answer that was meant for me, not the one that I wanted to get. And when that happens, you're able to just move forward with confidence because you know you got an answer, right? Mm -hmm. So that's been just a valuable piece to me in my life is when those answers come that you're able to move forward with confidence. You know, we, we can talk some other time about the, the kind of maybe the terms that I've used for that, but just moving forward with confidence, knowing that you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And I can sense that you have that confidence strategy. It's a, I think that that's probably one of your biggest assets, and I don't even know you, but to be able to mentor youth, they have to know that you're confident in what you do and what you say. Thank you. So, well, Stratty, I perhaps one day in this earth life we'll be able to meet. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And in the meantime, you take care, and if you feel like you want to uh, let me visit with one of your children or some of your kids and get their perspective, I'd love to do that. I, you know, I'll do that. I will definitely reach out to them and Mm -hmm. And um, you should get one out of four, so it won't be twenty-five <laughs> percent. Is not too bad. <laughs> That's not too bad at all. That's pretty great. All right. Well, you have a great day, Stratty, and appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening, and to my listeners, remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye bye.